Table Smith, welcoming everybody to episode 7 of Justified Pursuit. As always, here with my co-host Chisholm Cook. We've got a couple things to get into today. Uh, specifically, we're going to recap the uh, vice presidential debate, which occurred last night. And then um, something that Chisholm, which, which I want to start with this, um, is professional sports. The, the ratings are in for the NBA Finals, and I'm, I'm loving it, man. I'm absolutely enjoying LeBron James shooting himself in the foot. The ratings are the lowest they've ever been since 1994, and you've got the NBA's biggest superstar front and center, and nobody seems to give a crap. Yeah, I, um, I hope that it's at least some indication that America rejects communism, rejects communism. Um, Why did you say that twice? Because <laughs> uh, I, I said rejects or something the first time. Rejects. Oh, I thought you just wanted to reiterate America reject communism. Like really well, that's good it. enough too. Yeah. Yeah. Hammer it. No, I just came off my tongue funny. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> we've talked about the BlackLivesMatter.com organization being founded by Marxists. Um, funded by uh, Marxist sympathizers. Um, their whole, like, let's get dads out of the society uh-huh. thing that was a, on their About Us tab. By the way, I've been meaning to mention for like two or three weeks that uh, about, yeah, about two or three weeks back, so maybe the very end of September, first week of October, uh, I saw an article that said, they changed the website and taken out all that stuff. Hmm. And if you had, you know, been been watching, you uh, maybe you saw this several months back, you know, probably right in June, where like Marcellus Wiley on whatever sports channel he's on, on whichever show, called out the BLM org for exactly that. Yeah. He made the strong case that as a father and the leader of a family, he was not down with their you know, dismantling of the nuclear family, right? And right. the fact that they don't list fathers anywhere when it comes to caring for children. Um, there there had been many, many prominent African-Americans who had seen it and said it. And not surprisingly, it was all men, mm-hmm. right? And <laughs> so I, I think that cat was out of the bag. Well, it was clearly out of the bag. Because they changed it. It's gone now. What I've said was there is, is no longer there. Now, thankfully, there are screenshots and, you know, all sorts of records that have been maintained by folks to show what it used to say. It doesn't mean they don't believe that anymore. Don't think that for one second. Yeah. It just means they realize that people weren't down with it. And that's why the ratings for the organization, you know, they actually pull people on their support for, again, the organization, right, not the movement. Right, right. You know, polling has plummeted over the course of the summer. Uh, Well, I mean, a lot of that has to do with the continued looting and rioting. You know, people are fed up with it. So, I'll be honest with you, dude. I think it has more to do with people realizing what they actually stand for. So people becoming enlightened, actually waking up. Yeah, like I like I said that in one of these one of these discussions, it wasn't a secret, man. They had it clear as day out there, and it was, you know, you can Google right now. Patricia Colors is her name, C O L O U R S. 
describing her and her <laughs> comrades as trained Marxists. Comrade. None of that was a secret, man. And you, and you heard people talking about it. It was getting around. It was, again, it was apparent. I showed, I showed some friends of ours that earlier this summer, um, two moms that are, you know, we're all friends together, right? Uh -huh. Some of my buddies' wives. We were talking about this issue, and I pulled that up and I showed it to them, you know. And, and these are women who are absolutely sympathetic to the concept and the cause right and when they read those words they were like oh my god yeah right so what i'm getting at is in addition to the blm organizations roots and obvious roots in communism and communist agenda agenda lebron james himself you know stood against daryl morey the gm for the rockets mm -hmm. back this fall at the beginning right before the nba season tipped off because Daryl Morey had the guts to say what's happening in Hong Kong, a free city state that America has always been allied with, is an atrocity. And somebody, you know, and we need to stand and say, you know, China, your, you know, your strong arm tactics against these free people will not be tolerated. Yeah, but the and NBA is looking at how many jerseys can we sell? Dude, you know, what is 1.2 billion <laughs> people in China or something like that? LeBron was in China at the time. Yeah. Pretty sure that's. I know there were there were basketball games scheduled that day inside China, and I think it was the Lakers. Check me on that. You know, I may be wrong, but for sure I'm positive there were basketball games there yeah. that were canceled. The CCP said, "Nope, y'all can't play today because you have a you had a GM get out of line." And a few days later, LeBron goes so so far as to say, "Yeah, Daryl Morey just doesn't really get it." What does he not get, LeBron? That 1.5 billion people buy y'all's jerseys, and so you're in bed with the Communist Party? Oh, 100% Obviously, they are. Like, we're talking about freedom in Hong Kong, which the United States has always been a, a bastion of freedom and willing to run to the aid of countries fighting for freedom. And here, Daryl Morey is saying exactly, exactly that. Um, and LeBron vilifies him. And the NBA as a whole vilified him. But what I think, you know, that that plays into it. Also, you have the most prominent athlete in the world, in LeBron James, who I don't know how many billions of dollars he has squirreled away, but he just bought a new $37 million mansion. Uh, and he's, after a post game in the playoffs, talking about how we're scared as black people in America. And I get it. You know, you can't say, LeBron, you're not black. I mean, we'll leave that to Joe Biden to tell a black uh, reporter that he's not black. But, uh, you know, you can't say LeBron's not black because he is absolutely African-American. That's an undeniable fact. But he doesn't relate to the average African-American. This is a person who's been pampered since the age of 13 when people realized how hyper-talented he was as an athlete and basketball player. And senior year of high school, signs a shoe deal with Nike, $30 million, give or take. And he's telling me that he doesn't feel safe. I don't buy that for one second. He doesn't, he's not, he's not a reflection of what most African American. I mean, he's in the 1%, less than that. Um, drives a Rolls Royce through his, you know, uh, security gate into his mansion. And he doesn't, he doesn't feel safe. If, if LeBron James was 
pulled over and a cop realized it was LeBron James, don't you think they would be uber sensitive to the fact like I better watch my ass here, um, knowing what he does with his platform? So point being, LeBron doesn't know what it's like for the everyday African-American. He also grew up in a house void of male leadership. I mean, look at his mom, who was having sex with his teammate Delonte West when he, they were on the Cavs. Uh, and going back to that that leadership lacking in the house, you know, lack of male leadership, which we've talked about in previous episodes, Chisholm. And to me, it just seems like LeBron has it all wrong. And on, on so many fronts. And and obviously, he's a hard worker. I mean, to give the guy the credit, he's the best basketball player on the planet. Um, you can't take that, that away from him, his talents on the court. But like socially, uh, I'm glad that America is tuning out. And and I, I hate it, dude, because you know how much I love football. And um, I feel dirty sometimes watching these games these days because it's all – all the pro sports are the same. They've all done it on some level. And uh, I really had to think hard, long and hard about whether I was even going to watch them at all. Um, but – it, it does tickle me to see these ratings at, at an all-time low since 1994. So good on the American people. Yeah, I I haven't watched one of the finals games. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I haven't either. But I don't really watch TV. Period. So you know, that's not really it doesn't have anything to do with that. I, I I'll say this. I, I hear your points. Um, but, but I'll take the position that I don't care that he's been ultra wealthy since he was basically 18 and, you know, really even before that going to a private preparatory prep prep academy because of his basketball skills and getting his high school games televised at the age of like 16. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, that's all true, but I'll say to your point, man's still an African-American. Uh, he certainly, you know, comes from the, the you know, as, as far as I understand it, you know, his uh, certainly his childhood in uh, uh, Akron, Ohio. Uh, you know, I'm sure he's from a predominantly African-American community. He certainly has African-American friends and family. I'm not going to pretend as though he can't relate to the average day-to-day African-American. Um, I'll just I'll just grant that he can. It's clear as day. He's not only a hard worker. LeBron's a smart guy, and I've always felt that way. You, he, he's an intelligent, thoughtful dude that always has something thoughtful to say. And frankly, I was a big fan of who he was um, as a person mm-hmm. up until recently. And, and this, this idea that, <clears throat> that sports should be a sanctuary insulated from politics, et cetera, I get that sentiment, but um, I, I'm, I'm I, the reason we're doing this podcast is because of our belief in freedom of speech. He absolutely has the right, in my opinion, to use his position in the world for, for influence uh, for the greater good. I, I, he should. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that you know when when uh, Laura Ingraham told him to just shut up and dribble. That was crap. That was crap. And, you know, people used to give Jordan, you know, hell because he he didn't take that approach. 
that was his decision. It's everybody's prerogative. LeBron wants to be an agent of change. So be it. I believe it's unabundantly clear between the Maury Hong Kong CCP issue from roughly a year ago through to the full embrace of Marxist BLM.com that Le- and knowing him to be a thoughtful, very strategic, I guess, he's, he's calculated. LeBron Dude, I, I like LeBron. Guy. And he was in that movie. He was funny well, in it. I mean, it was great. Was, was the, yeah, he was great in that movie. The fat girl but, but, from... But, but, uh, what I'm saying yeah. is he's a calculated guy. It's not a secret to him that BLM... No, now we're fat shaming people. My not, <laughs> it's not a secret to LeBron that BLM has, has those Marxist ties. But that's the family he comes from, Chisholm. No father. Well, yeah, I know. I, I, I don't, you're right. Would um, you told me? Here's something interesting. You told me off the air when we were discussing ideas for today's show, and I said I, I kind of wanted to talk about this without coming across. You know, it's hard, and it's, and it's hard to. That's one thing we're doing on this show is tackling these hard issues and. Some people might think, oh, well, you're just coming across as a racist, but it's a, it, has, it has nothing to do with that. Um, but you told me the reason why Michael Jordan didn't take on these social issues was because you believe his father had his ear and basically told him there's nothing to benefit from that. You're a basketball player. You know, and he had that male, that guidance um, from his father who, you know, ultimately was tragically killed. And next thing you know, Michael Jordan's not playing basketball anymore. And he's, you know, there's all these rumors about these terrible gambling habits that he's developed. And maybe that's, you know, because his father passed away. Who knows? But I think it's important to point out he did have that male role model uh, in a, in a whole, you know, nuclear family to fall back on. Yeah. And so, so I, I got that from, you know, another influence. Um, it was a point they made. And so I was just sort of relaying it because I found it interesting. I guess if I picked that apart a little bit, I would say that if you have a strong father in your life as a, as a young boy, you're going to be taught you're not a victim. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, there is plenty, we've, we've detailed in, in great length. I believe there is a lot of historical and, 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 you know, which translates into modern current, um, you know, oppression that the African-American community deals with and that we should continue adamantly to try to overcome and, and knock down. Um, at the same time, at the same time, there are, many, 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 many examples of African-American folks who say, um, I'm going to live the American dream despite that. Uh, I'm going to lead in a certain way despite that. LeBron has lived um, the American dream to a T. I know, and, that, and that, that's what frustrates me the most about it is that so many of these huge proponents of this Marxist ideology are... You know, the, the athletes, stores, actors, LeBron, celebrities, they're, they're fabulously wealthy people. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah. And that's the whole point, Chisholm. I mean, those Uber celebrities, 
you know, they can't relate to the average American any more than I, I believe LeBron can relate to the average African American. Um, I mean, it's just, it's two, they're living two totally different existences. And so going back to the agenda thing, I mean, it's clear that LeBron has an agenda and the ratings reflect that America's tired of it. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, uh, like I said, I, I, the whole can't relate. Um, they don't, they don't choose to, they don't even, they don't even want to, right. They appeal. I mean, they like all of them, right. The Hollywood, the, you know, <laughs> everybody that's, that's in cahoots with this Marxist agenda, right. They're, they're, are they're all directly tied to the CCP, right? Hollywood, we, we know their movies are funded by the Communist Party. Again, with Hong Kong, the new Top Gun movie, they had to take the Hong Kong flag off of Maverick's jacket because the CCP objected to it, despite the fact that actual naval aviators, their bomber jackets have that flag on them hmm. because they're an ally of ours, right? Like they control what gets to us through Hollywood slash the media, because they're the second largest economy in the world to us, they have the means and they have an, they have the desire to perpetuate that, that worldview. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so as it trickles down to somebody like LeBron or Mark Ruffalo, it's just for them, it's just lining their own pocketbooks, but in their mind, because I, I assume maybe they're actually bought into it. They think, oh, well, somehow communist is actually, communism is going to help the, you know, the poor among us, the oppressed among us. But they haven't read any history, for sure, because that's just not the case, right? Mm. Um, this is something I want to get into in an entire conversation. But socialism, Marxism, socialism, communism, to me, they're all the same. There's a subtle difference between socialism and communism, but I don't give a damn. You're splitting right. hairs. Right? Yeah, you're splitting hairs. But One's going to lead to the other this, eventually the, anyway. The desire of the, the kind of equality that they're seeking, it does not allow for bringing society up to an elite level because not all people are elite. It's unfortunate, but it's factual. LeBron James is a perfect example. You and I cannot do physically what LeBron can do. He's a different human with God-given ability mm -hmm. that lets him do something that we just can't do, and he gets paid for it accordingly. So that's why it's funny that the already uber-wealthy want to drive us to this Marxist utopia where they'll get to stay in these prominent superpositions of power because they're already there, but the rest of society that doesn't have that kind of power and influence will get dragged down through redistribution to a common denominator. Not, not the bottom won't get lifted up. That's just not how that happens. They have to oppress talent in communism in order to derive the equality that they want have to. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're, 
even even if they just take all the money and just redistribute the dollars, smart, clever, industrious people will figure out how to make more. Yeah. Well, and, and let me, you know, you know, I've I've harped on LeBron a lot here. Uh it's not just LeBron. I mean, it's the the entire NBA is guilty of it. They're wearing these BLM shirts before games. They're wearing shirts that say vote. Which way do you think they're trying to get people to vote, Chisholm? They're using And that's not even an individual player thing. Whole teams have a shirt on that says vote before the game. You know which way they want you to vote. They want you to vote for the side that supports the BLM, Marxist movement, the side that's closer to socialism and communism than freedom. So to me, and you know, apologies to LeBron. Like you said, he he should be using his platform to make the world a better place. Uh, I believe that he's going about it in the absolute. It goes back to what you've said. Liberal ideologies a lot of times come from a great place, make the world a better place. But the delivery is all wrong. LeBron got it wrong here. The NBA's gotten it wrong more so than any of the other major sports, in my opinion. They've all screwed it up. Um, maybe their hands were tied a little bit, like just because of societal, societal pressures they were feeling, like they had to do stuff. Um, but I'm glad to see America totally being tone deaf to the NBA's biggest star on its biggest stage. No one gives a shit. I like it. Um, people are waking up. That being said, you mentioned. Yeah, well, to your to your point. Go ahead. You, you know that you know that the message of vote is vote Democrat, right? Not vote what you believe in. Yeah. Because brilliant economists, philosophers, uh, you know, attorneys like Thomas Sowell, Glenn Lowry, Carol M. Swain, even Kanye West who say what you want about him is a brilliant artist, period, end of story. These are people who are stepping, Candace Owens, right? Mm -hmm. People who are stepping out and saying, I'm free to think for myself, Mo. I'm free to think for myself and vote based on my principles, not based on some party allegiance for a party that hasn't really had my best interest at heart really ever. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Those people are those key people are dismissed as you know, as Jim Crow or Uncle Tom's or worse, right? I won't even say the other word that they use. But anyway, and again, you go to the BLM website and you click on donate. Where does it take you to Act Blue, right? This known nonprofit. That act that works on you know, that funds the Democratic Party. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they you know. To the, it's back to the point of the ratings. The ratings are what they are. They're the worst ever, and I don't think it's. I mean, nobody has anything to do. People are stuck at home. You would think that ratings for playoff basketball would be through the roof. Absolutely. In a in a in a year where we've been starved of an outlet, and and to your point, they're they're not. And I don't think it's really all that hard to tell why. I mean, the same thing happened to the NFL when the Kaepernick storm kicked up, you know. And I, and I, on that, I'd like to say, I said back then, Colin Kaepernick absolutely has the right to do what he's doing. He absolutely has that right. And, you know, he wasn't without a point when he did it. But at the same time, that's a private enterprise, the NFL. And it's funded by the, you know, in, at least in part by the by the interests of their fans. And, you know, if you're going to do that, 
in a, you know, you do have the freedom of speech, but you know, your fans have the freedom not to pay for your jerseys and, you know, and game tickets. Yeah. That's what happens. Right. So I don't need a $10 beer, you know? I mean, you, you, you know, they know why, because <laughs> maybe it's $12 now. And said, Things are so damn expensive. Right. Uh, you know this is a big driver of the, the – you know that the NBA acknowledges what's happening here because Adam Silver came out yesterday and said you won't see BLM branded, you know, emblazoned on the, on, the, on the courts next year. And I qualified it all and said this was a unique moment in time and we were compelled to do something and, you know, we expect things to normalize and this and that, but – yeah, damage if it wasn't control. A problem, they, if it wasn't a problem, then they could leave it, yeah. and they well, could keep pressing their. Mind. And he wouldn't have addressed Somebody it yesterday they, in the middle of the NBA yeah. Finals. So, yeah, Dave Rubin, you know, Dave, Dave Rubin, who has a podcast called The Rubin Report, and he's one of these, you know, intellectual dark web guys who was formerly a lefty and then realized that his party had left him and been selling him a bigger bill of goods, or his side had left him. And he's become what he considers to be like a, a classical liberal, which really aligns him more with the American right. You know, mm-hmm. he's a huge NBA fan. And he pointed out yesterday, Adam Silver just showed us where their priorities are. If this, you know, if, 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 BL, if, if, the, if BLM, the organization, and candidly, even the movement was of dire if, if that entire organization felt that promoting that was a was a was this was a singular moment in time where it was necessary, then they would suffer the consequences of low ratings and keep promoting it. It's the same thing that happened with Mori and the and the Chinese government issue. When it hits their pocketbooks, they don't have any principles anymore. Right? Absolutely. They're pulling that stuff out because it's hitting their pocketbooks now. They may still be wildly popular over in China, but they're not popular here anymore because, you know, like Ted Cruz said, they're basically just, you know, berating all their watchers and, you know, and I, th- I think most of their watchers of all shapes and sizes and colors know that, you know, the roots of what they're promoting. And, and again, six months, nine, nine months, I guess, after after the CCP Mori thing and the Hong Kong thing, right? Like, <laughs> I, I don't think you can gaslight us fast enough to prevent people from from making those connecting those dots, right? Right. See the way the league reacted to what Mori did with the Hong Kong issue, and then you fast forward to the next summer, and their obvious, um, you know, relationship, I guess, beholdenness to Black Lives Matter the organization. And I say that because they're using the same logoing. They're they're clearly using the phrase, you know, there was a time this summer where I was adamant about trying to separate the movement from the org. But when it comes to the NBA, I'm not going to give them for the benefit of the doubt because we already know they're in bed with the communists. Right. They're talking about the org. Maybe they're talking about both. I'll do, I'll give them that. They're talking about both, but yeah. Well, I mean, their superstars are talking about the organization. So, yeah. Um, right. Well, you mentioned a word, and, and I want to segue into the debate, which is, you know, going to be the, the majority of today's conversation. Um, you mentioned a word, redistribution. I thought that was a common theme between uh, Harris and Pence 
during the debate. And, uh, you know, we'll tackle the whole thing, but as far as redistribution of wealth, that's something that, I mean, basically that's communism. And Kamala was asked, what about a, what would they do about taxes? Would they increase taxes? You know, Trump obviously cut taxes and Pence kept saying, you know, the average family of four saved $2,000 under uh, our administration annually. Kamala's going to raise taxes. Biden and Harris will raise taxes. She said that anyone that makes over $400,000 a year is going to be subject to a uh, pretty substantial tax hike, which is the redistribution of wealth. Yeah, well, I mean, for, for, for their purposes, certainly. Um, in the last debate, by the way, Biden said he would take the corporate tax rate back from, I think they got it down to 22, back up to 28. Um, you know, they like to try to hide the ball and say, oh, only if you're making over 400,000. And 99% of Americans were like, yeah, screw those rich guys. Right? But you yeah. work for a company, most likely, that is going to see their taxes go back up. And therefore, it's going to impact you. Yep. Right. Yep. Most folks. Right. Yeah. Um, well, but but besides that, I mean, they use the term all the time. Obama used it. Uh, you know, the, the 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 Democrats will say redistribute. They're not hiding it. They're not shy about it. Yeah. Well, and jobs, too. I mean, the Green New Deal, that that's going to be redistribution of jobs among um, the uh, energy uh, entities because. Well, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's just start at the beginning. Yeah. Um, in, initial thoughts on how this debate went and the you know the key points that were made. I I don't I just don't think there's really any arguing. Um, sound sounds like, and I haven't had a chance to hear a whole lot of uh, feedback since last night. But some of the initial reactions were most people think it was pretty clear. Pence won. And going into it, I didn't see how it could go any other way. Pence is one of the smoothest operators I've, you know, seen in my almost 40 years <laughs> of life and, you know, mm-hmm. say at least 20 years of, of political awareness. He demonstrated that against Tim Kaine four years ago in that vice presidential debate where, you know, th- th- this methodical, calm, polite, Firm, so, so gracious. <laughs> dude. I mean, he he he's just he's like a dude. He's like a 007 style assassin, man. And um, and I think it's really impressive. And I, you know, a lot of people may look at some of the emotional, maybe, maybe you could call them theatrics that he puts on. Um, but I don't deny. I don't doubt for one second he's a caring person. Yeah. You know. And, and, you know, a debate is a performance. He crushed it. And, you know, in contrast, um, she kind of looked silly in a lot of ways. And that's not surprising because, again, if you've watched her, dude, she didn't even make it to the Iowa caucuses in the Democratic primary. It still baffles my mind that that was the choice. She's a terrible politician. Terrible. And I, you know, I've already seen on Fox after the debate last night, Donna Brazil was calling it sexist to say that she's not likable. Doesn't have anything to do with the fact she's a woman. Nothing. 
I thought it had to do with that smirk she couldn't wipe off her face every time Pence was talking. Oh, I mean, all the over-the-top reactions. I mean, it just made me think, man, I, I don't agree with her policies, and, and now I just kind of think she's kind of a smug, uh, uh, just, I mean, it was disrespectful, I thought. Uh, on <laughs> Like, just shaking her head, like everything Pence was saying was a lie, and like you said, it is a performance, but it certainly rubbed me the wrong way, and that's, it didn't really have anything to do with my, you know, right-wing um, beliefs. I'm just like, God, this is not a likable human being. And, much, you know, much the same way that Donald Trump isn't a likable human being, to be frank. Right. But the difference is, like we talked about a couple of episodes ago, I agree with the policies of Trump mm-hmm. Pence, and I just don't agree with the policies of Biden-Harris, and especially Harris. Man, if Biden had picked Klobuchar, I don't know, name, name a, a Tulsi Gabbard. I love her. She's a Democrat, technically, mm-hmm. although they're trying like hell to run her out of the party. There are Democrats I, I can support. Or, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I'm not sitting here saying I would have voted that way. But there were so many people he could have picked to run with him that would have appealed more broadly than somebody who, again, didn't even make it to the first primary. I, yeah, I, I've heard somebody who said that she believed the women that accused him of uh, groping him. <laughs> I mean, that did just the very it, it was a, it wasn't a match. It, it was a ill-fitting match from the very start. Based off of that alone, she already said, and that's what killed the Me Too movement, which we talked about. Um, yeah, it's it's not a good fit. We talked about this, I think, in one of the first couple, three episodes that, you know, she is uh, one of the most uh, just unbelievable brazen flip-floppers I've ever, you know, I remember ever seeing in that, you know, where, where most politicians might flip year to year or every few years, she'll flip like day to day and, and, and has repeatedly. She flip-flopped last night. In a 20-second span, she sat there and said, we're going to repeal the Donald Trump tax cuts. Then, thankfully, Pence, being the, like I said, the assassin that he is, jumped on it and said, so you're going to repeal all the tax cuts, all of them? Are you talking about part of them? Because everybody got something. No, 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 only those up over 400,000. I didn't say that. You know, No, I actually did say that. Yeah. Um, you know, but them pretending as though that, that there's not a, <laughs> minutes upon minutes maybe a half hour of footage of both of them saying they would ban fracking. Right. Like, no, last night she didn't say that. Man. She said, Joe Biden will not ban fracking. Go look it up on the internet. What did you say a couple months ago? Right. And neither would she. Yeah. I mean, dude, what she did to your point, what she did to Biden during the primary to jump in there and say the moment he called was one of the greatest moments of her life. Yeah, break, dude. Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as look in her eyes and on her face, that to me shows her just boundless ambition. I mean, that's the scary thing. I heard Colin Noir, Colian Noir, talking about this. I think on Tucker. That you know they were they were talking about gun rights. You know the guy I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Biden-Harris ticket attacking 
the Second Amendment. And he made the point, he's like, you know, what, what's really scary is that he, he's like, she's not even your typical anti-gun advocate who at least you can see where they're coming from. Not, not I don't mean agree with it, but like they articulate a position and they're relatively consistent with it. He's like, even, even on this gun thing, she's, there, there's no principle. She, none of it is is based for her on principles. It's all based on, on politics of the moment, which is in part why she's a terrible politician. But it's also why she's super dangerous. She's beholden to the mob and will do anything to grab and grip and keep power. Yes, I, I get that vibe from her, absolutely. Um, as far as the actual questions that were, were asked, and, and I'll be yeah. fair and say that there were questions each party was asked and that neither one of them ever got around to answering. Um, yeah. Let's start with the Green New Deal because, you know, going back yeah. to the, the fracking and everything, uh, my and correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Joe Biden kind of disavow the Green New Deal on the during the uh, presidential debate? He did, then he didn't, then he did again, all in like 15 seconds. Yeah, <laughs> that's why it's hard to keep up. You never know what they're saying. Right. At least you get a hard. consistent yeah. answer from the from the right wing. Uh, not a lot of flip flop going on. But so he did disavow, and then he said, "Okay, well, last night she refused to." To, to basically condemn the Green New Deal. So, like, it seems like her and Biden aren't even on the same page on that. Do they, do they talk about this before? Dude. Like, it's so confusing. That's what I'm saying, man. I, I, I just don't think that, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any doubt that the woke left power brokers within the DNC chose her for him oh for sure being a and being a 40 whatever year senator maybe 30 something years and specifically in the senate um i don't know if you know this but every democratic running mate man for decades like maybe going maybe going back to before jfk and johnson if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. Every Democratic ticket for the presidential election for like 50 years has been picked from the Senate. So, you know, that really, first of all, boxed him into very few options. And then, you know, there was this immediate promise that he was going to pick a woman, which meant that he had immediately eliminated 50 percent of the population. And then there was a big campaign that you better pick a woman of color, which then whittled it down to, you know, left him with like 20% of the population to pull a potential replacement to the president from. And this is the whole problem with identity politics, man. I'm all for equal opportunity, but I'm also, and, and, and most, most people who want the best for the country want the best people in place to run it. So identity politics says, well, you have to pick you know, from this very small subset, right? Or, or the, you know, they basically threatened they wouldn't, wouldn't back him. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean you're getting the best. And she's a perfect freaking example, dude. 
she's not a good politician. I'm not being biased here. She's just not, and she never has been. Well, I mean, to someone who's casually listening to our show and who who doesn't know about her background, you would be coming across as pretty biased. But all it takes is uh, just a little bit of time and go going back to how often she flip flops, which I think is the definition of what makes you a terrible politician. Just go look at her track record and, and go back to how she's actually treated African Americans and put exactly. man after man in jail for. What I mean should just be a slap on the wrist for marijuana possession, which now she said. I always which, like to point which out. I'm sure they want to make legal now. Which is like, oh my god! So you put all these people in jail, and didn't she say last night yeah, that her. they were going to overturn all yes. these convictions? That basically she's the one that put them in jail. Right, acting yeah, like no, it's I, Trump's fault, dude. And again, that's not any secret to anybody who's been paying attention, including to African-Americans across this country, man. They know that. That's why, again, it astounds me that that was their pick yeah. for, this, for, that, for that spot. Like, her record in, the, in this summer, man, it'd been one thing if that had happened back in, like, April, right, before George Floyd and everything that's come about this summer. But in the middle of the summer of 2020, they picked a woman whose record on – criminal justice, particularly among Californian African-Americans, is atrocious, man. There's no defending it. Yeah. And by the way, I think one of the... <laughs> I can't wait to listen to Mo and Adam on their next episode, because I assume they're going to touch on this, but she's, she said at one point <clears throat> that her record as attorney general in California is the model for the federal government under a Biden administration, I pray, I, God almighty, dude, I can't imagine that every black man in America's ears didn't perk up and go, uh, say what, come again? Mm-hmm. What you did in California is the model for federal law enforcement, which by the way, is a That's a it's a ridiculous premise to begin with because the Constitution gives police powers to the states. Mm-hmm. Period. It's a state issue, and that's the hilarious thing, right? Is that all the states and cities, in particular, where these problems arise, as we've detailed, are Democratic strongholds and have been for decades. So somebody like her and, and, and Biden are going to come in at the federal level and try to fix what their party is broken at the state and local level. How about stop breaking things at the state and local level? Right? Yeah. I yeah. think the federal government's going to fix every community in America. They're not. Not without a stripping of liberty and strong arm tactics like they've done in the past. Well, steering it back towards the, the actual Green New Deal before the COVID-19 pandemic, the economy was thriving. Um, a lot of that is, you know, our energy um, sector is, you know, a huge contributor. Hell, I mean, your day job, you, you work within that, um, you know, um, within that community. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Green New Deal 
would absolutely decimate the American economy. And here's the thing. How do you, what they want to do, which is uh, get rid of petroleum, natural gas, you know, those type of energies, uh, and replace it with clean energy, you can't do that overnight. I mean, it would be a process that would take decades to implement. And I think just listening to what they want the message to be is they can just, bam, flip a switch, and we're going to have clean energy, and the economy is not going to suffer, which is it's a freaking – it's a fallacy. I mean, it's absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, well, they think if they just pass a law, it will make it so, but I, I don't think – And we're not economics. I, economists. I just wanted to, you know, just the, the layman. Yeah, but you can, know what I do know a whole lot about? I know a hell of a lot about environmental regulation yeah. and energy. I would say I'm an expert in that field. And I can tell you that there's not a switch to be flipped, man. You can't go completely off fossil fuels with the technology that we have right now. It's not possible. Did you know solar panels require petroleum project product, products to make? Hmm. You can't make a solar panel without drilling a damn oil well, dude. You can't make a lithium battery, the best battery technology we have, without excavating like a thousand acres of land and digging to the bottom of it. Oh, by the way, using a tremendous amount of fresh water in order to extract the, to extract that lithium. Well, it it's a give and take, Chisholm, like we, like with everything. You know, like we talked about with veganism, you can't just, everyone just can't become a vegan. We stop eating animals. Okay, now we have to turn all this this freaking habitat into agriculture. There's a give and take with all of it. Exactly. Exactly. It's just not it's not possible yet. That doesn't mean it won't be possible and we shouldn't be trying to invest in ways to actually liberate our liberate us from fossil fuels. I would I think that's a that is a great goal. Mm-hmm. But to your point, there isn't even a switch to be flipped. It's not something that can happen immediately. We can work towards that, but there yeah, the tax man always gets paid. There's always a cost. That's there were several points in that sec, in that section, the, the environmental section of the, of the discussion that I definitely had made notes about that I wanted to, to touch on. You know, for the most part, I actually think the moderator did a pretty decent job. Um, she wasn't a bulldog to either side that I could tell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think both candidates clearly had. Um, their plan was to be more mindful of the rules and stuff, right? It wasn't, wasn't going to, it was never going to go the way that the first one went in terms of the chaos. But, um, you know, I, I thought the questions were, they were fine. But there was one question I took a big issue with, and that, with, and that was at the beginning of the climate change discussion when she says something to the effect of the scientific community has concluded that climate change is making these fires in California worse and the hurricanes. Worse. Right. I don't believe that's the case. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I know that there are people claiming that, that the hurricane seasons are getting worse and says that's not the case. I don't know what quote unquote science says about that, but it brings up the question. Do y'all even know what the definition of science is in the first place? They don't. They think if a scientist says it, it's fact. That's not science. Science 
is simply a method of testing hypotheses through observation and control of variables. There's not a scientist in America who can say definitively almost anything, or in the world. It's a test method for theory. So to say the scientific community has concluded anything is garbage. Right. Particularly the fires. Like I'll leave the storms out of it. It you know, again, I uh I some of the fires actually Galveston. were set by arsonists who guarantee you are voting Democrat. Well, hopefully they're felons now and they can't Dude. vote, but you know. You and I take advantage of America's public lands all the time. And we know what forest manager forest management is. California is a broke state on, and I mean that, you know, uh, in every way, in every sense. That's right. It, yeah. They are, they're out of money, which then means that they don't have their provided funding and it's their job to manage those lands. That money ends up getting pilfered for God knows what, well, that slash their radical environmental culture says, well, you just let the forest be. Well, you know what happens if you just let the forest be? Eventually, fires get lit because that is the natural process. Problem is, y'all don't actually, you know, generally speaking, you're going to suppress those fires as long as you can. But your radical environmentalism won't let you go out and harvest the timber that needs to be harvested that's about to die and that once it collapses and begins to stockpile, then becomes the fuel for a fire so hot it can melt a metal building, right? I'm sorry, I, I didn't hear what you said. I was route. too busy taking a shit on the sidewalk in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. How, that's such a great example. How does that guy, everybody everybody knows what has happened to the, one of the finest cities in the world in the last decade. The guy who presided over the collapse of one of the crown jewels of America ends up being elected the governor of that state. Give me a break. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but but then then from there, I'll give the moderator credit. I you know, didn't like the way she phrased that question. But then the next one was, okay, uh, Senator Harris, you co-authored the Green New Deal. Your your you know running mate, the you know your, your presidential nominee says he's not for it. Yet your website has something that looks a lot like it. So what's the deal? Are we Green New Dealing or not? Mm-hmm. Right, like that was a that was a damn good question. Right. Um, yeah, she talked about the science again. Harris did in a way that I like. That's where I made my note. Does anybody know what science means? Mm-hmm. I think I think Pence does. Is he says we'll follow the science by definite. You know, to me, what that means is the science is a moving target. We'll follow it. We'll keep up with it. Yeah. But it's not, we're not there. We don't know what the end of the road looks like. And I'm not a climate denier, okay? I am a believer that climate is an extraordinarily complex system, and there's no one variable that explains it. From my understanding of the quote-unquote scientific record, we've had like six ice ages in the history of this planet. Mm-hmm. So it's a reasonable inference that we've therefore had six warming periods because something melted the ice six times, right? Yep. The most recent of those ice ages was about 12,000 years ago. 
perfectly reasonable to think we're still working out of it. That being said, if you look at a nighttime satellite image of the globe, you'll see uh, very little dark space. <laughs> There's a whole lot of energy, a whole lot of combustion going on that was not possible 150 years ago. We're pumping into the atmosphere on, from everything from power plants to our automobiles to commercial kitchens, uh, you know, combustion emissions in the forms of carbon monoxide, sulfur dioxide, uh, uh, nitrogen oxides, like, you know, pollutants that are, some of them toxic, like deadly, right? We know if you sit in a garage with the car running, you're going to die. Yeah. Can't do that. So, you know, and, and I don't deny that the core sampling done in the Arctic, Arctic and Antarctic show that carbon has increased in the atmosphere. So, you know, there seems to be a correlation there. That doesn't mean that's, A, the only reason why it's warming. doesn't necessarily mean that if we can curb carbon emissions that it's going to reverse the warming trend. They don't know. Pence did say that uh, emissions were down under the Trump administration compared to Obama. I don't know if that's valid or not. Emissions emissions are down in general because we get better and better all the time. That was one of the points he made about automobiles. Yeah. In, in, Trump, Trump, I mean, in the last debate, when they asked him about reducing the fuel, the uh, fuel economy and emission standards for automobiles, he made the point, yeah, I'm making these cars more affordable, which means that somebody who's got a 15-year-old beater can get it off the road and get into a new car. And even if that standard for that car is not as high as what Obama required, it's still better than a 15-year-old beater. So we're improving the fleet incrementally over time, and it's the same thing with power plants and chemical plants and refineries and you, you, you name the major source of air pollutants, our regulatory structure, again, of which I am an expert, is designed to push progress over time. Look at the air quality in the city of Houston, Texas. Gross. College, I dated a girl from... Mad no, it's not. gross. No, it's not. No, it's not. It is not gross anymore, dude. It's not visibly gross. I'm not sitting here claiming that it's Clean. Oh, I was talking about the humidity and mosquitoes. Sorry, it was uh. Oh well, yeah. That's my, my grandparents. I, I spent a lot of time in Houston as a kid, and I just you walk outside in the spring or summer and just getting assaulted by mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's muggy and nasty. And, but I'm talking about I'm talking about air pollutants. Right? I, I know. I know. In in India, yeah, no. In 2000, when we were in college, I had a girlfriend that lived in Clear Lake, which is just outside Houston, towards the Ship Channel, and we were driving into the city one day. And there was so much smog, I couldn't see the bottoms of the buildings of downtown. And I was like, dude, what is that orange stuff? I had never seen smog. And they were like, that's the smog. And I was like, oh, wow. I'd heard the word. Yeah. I'd never seen it. Fast forward 20 years later, dude, I lived there for five years. There's no smog. It's gone. That's how much improvement we made just in the last 20 years on air quality in one of the largest cities in America. Awesome. And the largest industrial operation in America. Yeah, you know what, I think, I I feel like, Chisholm, I feel like the environmental worldview is almost like it's a lost cause a lot of the time. But, I mean, you're sitting here telling me 20 years, what what a difference 20 years has made in in Houston, Texas. Um, And that's encouraging. Dude, go back before before 1969, and cities like Pittsburgh had so much completely unmitigated, uncontrolled coal firing going on that ash would rain down on your car. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, yeah, that that Rust Belt part of the the, the country back in those days was was gross, man, gross. Now Pittsburgh's a beautiful, awesome city yeah. with really good air quality. They're not lying when they say our water quality has improved dramatically. Our air quality has improved dramatically. I think they're probably exaggerating when they claim that it's like improved dramatically just in the last four years. Sure. It's improving steadily over time. What they did was loosen things, some things up that allowed for some more investment and kick started the economy. But it's not like we're going back to pre-1969 and removing scrubbers off of smokestacks. It's not happening. Well, we are getting better. And I, and I, and that's something that I'm at, I'm passionate about, dude. That's a message I share with people all the time. I use that Houston example all the time. Don't let them lie to you that we are destroying everything. I'm not saying, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying the industrial age is good for the world, right? Right. I'm not saying But it's here to, it's not going anywhere, so, you know. Yeah. Not unless we all want to live in huts again with no power, dude. Right. Which we don't want to do. Hey, uh, I got to keep us on track here or we're going to go way too yeah. long. Um, anything else on the Green New Deal? Are we ready to move on or on the environment? It's it's not related to the environment, but it came out during that part. Uh-huh. And it was really funny because earlier in the day I checked something. I was like, I wonder if Kamala Harris has kids. I've never heard her talk about her kids or anybody talk about her kids. She doesn't have any biological children. She has a husband uh, who has two adult kids that I don't know if she's ever formally adopted them or, or, or whatever, but you know she's that that's her family, right? Mm-hmm. So there was this moment where she was talking about the future, and she said something about we have a twenty-year-old son, and then she goes, "Well, a twenty-something-year-old." Did you catch that? I didn't catch that one. I'm pretty sure she couldn't remember how old her, her quote unquote son was. I just thought that was really hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to fault her for that. Sometimes I can't remember my own kids' birthdays, but uh, I know, I know, but, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I, I just, there's a bigger conversation there and I don't know if this is the right place for it. Yeah. Well, there's moving on, let's move on. Turned let's, off for me to say it too. Let's move on to, um, let's move. I mean, the, the thing that was harped on the most, I would say, was, and for good reason, is uh, the Trump administration's approach to handling the pandemic. Virus. Yes. Yep. And all I kept hearing was 210,000 dead Americans. This was said, even in questions that had nothing, we'd moved on past coronavirus, Kamala kept bringing it back right. to lack of leadership, 210,000 dead bodies. And I, I just don't see, is that a lot of people? Yes. Do, I mean, like Mike Pence said, our hearts go out to every American family who's lost someone because it's terrible. And we've all had friends that have gotten it. I don't have any friends that have died from it, but it's, a, it's affected all of us. Uh, whether we've gotten the virus or not, it's affected our bottom lines and our businesses. It's affected our, our everyday life. But I don't see realistically how... The Trump administration failed here. We've seen the, the 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 most cases, the highest mortality rates in Democratic-run cities, where leadership and then also uh, Democratic-run states, New York leadership falls flat on its face. You have the most dead bodies piling up, and then you blame it on Trump, who did everything he could to try to get you the supplies that you needed as quickly as he could. One thing that really stood out to me was when Pence pointed out that Trump decided, okay, we're going to lock the doors, no more 
no more travel to and from China. And then Biden's on record as saying that that's xenophobic and totally unnecessary. So <laughs> under their leadership, I'm thinking 210,000, it would be, you know, multiply that by five, 10. I don't know how many. Um, but I, I, I think, I really do think the Trump administration did a good job handling something that is so unforeseen. This happens once every hundred years, um, you know, this type of pandemic. And you can't plan for it because no one's been there and done that. Everyone that did it previously is dead. So you have ideas, thoughts, some plans in place, but all that kind of goes out the window when it actually happens because it's ever evolving. And um, yeah, I personally don't see anything wrong with the way that they handled it. I don't either. Um, but I, I People get sick and people die. Point. That's the way, It's the way it's always been. It's the way it's always going to be. And that's harsh to say it like well, that. But it's reality. I, I want to have a whole conversation about the virus um, and, and my belief that we've become detached from the reality of our mortality. It drives me nuts that people seem to think that if you just put enough nerf all around us, that we'll, I guess, live forever. <laughs> but I'll table that. I, I really want to talk about that. To your point, though, all of the COVID-19 conversation, and particularly the places where it overlapped economic issues, proved unequivocally to me that Biden-Harris slash the Democratic Party are just playing politics on this issue. Because I don't understand how you can say, y'all didn't do enough to stop this, and it's also your fault that the economy is tanked. Because... The first question was, what would y'all do different beginning in January if you were elected? And Kamala didn't even try to answer that question. Mm -hmm. Kamala. There's nothing different to do is the bottom line. Again, she did what Biden did to the extent she answered it at all at any point during the conversation. She listed things that they've already done. You know, more PPE, da, da, da. We've got that, you know, federal mask mandate. You think that's going to save 200,000 lives? People have been wearing these damn masks since June, and we're still seeing spikes here and there and increases here and there. And certainly deaths, you know, yeah. have continued. I, but, but again, I, I guess I want to highlight the, the interplay between to your, like you touched on, the virus and the economy. She's trying to have it both ways. She's trying to blame Trump for a devastated economy, which we all know was the result of having this massive disruption from the pandemic. They say he didn't do enough to stop the pandemic. What more should we have done that would not have only created more problems with the economy? I guess you would argue we should pump $10 trillion more stimulus money in and keep everybody locked in their houses, I guess. She never really said that, though. No, she didn't answer the I question. I don't think. No, she didn't answer it at all. And, you know, so she went in on this typical left style emotional plea about you know she said something about people in food lines and i was like where the hell were food lines what are you talking about she even brought up the toilet paper thing and i thought that was just like give me how calm were you when you were worried about where you'd get your toilet paper <laughs> right like, i mean at that point forward i was like okay you're just you're ridiculous this is just a this is just a show i i, I just i don't know how you square those two issues right we yep. either try to press forward, do what Trump, what Pence said, which was try to protect those that are at risk, 
which we know who they are, and we have known who they are since March. I think I've said this before, but in early April, Italy, which if you recall back in like February, March, and early April, was like hotspot numero uno mm-hmm. outside of China, right? Yep. They lost like 70,000 people there in like 60 days, right? They were hammered by it. Yeah. And they released a report around April 21st or so that said the average age of death from the virus is 80 years old. That the, you know, tremendous, everybody under 80 basically had one of these five or six massive pre existing health conditions. Mm-hmm. We've no, none of, nothing, dude, not, what drives me the most nuts is nothing, nothing has changed. The data that we're getting consistently month after month when the CDC releases just continues to support what we've known about it all along. And so, yeah, we were in, we are, have been this whole time in a position of how do we balance that need to protect those that are at risk with the need to carry on society. And yeah, dude. And, and I've told Democrats you, Democrats haven't said anything to illustrate how they would do that. And all I hear them saying is, we would make things harder and just send y'all some checks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And yeah. in the places where they have shown leadership, it's been a disaster. Uh, like we said, New York's the numero uno example on how not to handle uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Cuomo yeah, and de Blasio well, have well, just absolutely shit the bed on that. Um, yeah. You know, but... You know, I've told you, and you, you're well aware of the fact that I'm asthmatic, and I sure as hell do not want the virus. That's a pre-existing condition. I am healthy. I'm 30. I just turned 39. Um, but my twins, the girls have asthma, thanks to me. And, um, you know, I told you at the very beginning, we're doing stuff like sanitizing our groceries, like just all sorts of ridiculous measures to try to prevent this from happening. Six months later, you know, man, my kids are back in school and if just life has to go on. And if I get the virus and die, well, then it was my time to go. I don't think, you know, I, I, even with asthma, I don't think that it's going to kill me. It's, the chances are very, very low that I'd even have to go to the hospital, but it could happen. Dude, um, but the virus has weakened and our, and our therapeutics have, they work. Right? Yeah. Like, so, yeah. Like, like it's, you know, you, you asked me like three months ago, or dude, are you still sanitizing? Because we went on a hunting trip down to uh, the ranch in South Texas, and I told you, you know, all these measures that are that the family was taking. He's like, we're not doing that. I was like, really? He's like, no. And I'm like using hand sanitizer like every 25 seconds. And uh, yeah, that was, that was short-lived. Life had to go on. Commerce had to go on. Kids had to go back to school. You know the state of New Mexico, the kids aren't back in school yet? I was there last month elk hunting. And the outfitter's like, I just wish our kids could go back to school. Guess what? Democratic governor preventing the kids from going back to school. Surprise. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen yet. You probably have what Cuomo, de Blasio, Whitmer, et al. are coming up. You know, this, this new surge we're seeing in 39 states, supposedly. They're all locking it back down again. Yeah, I, I heard uh, Harris reference that yesterday. I do want to. I, I just want to clarify one thing. I was, you know, we were washing hands, using sanitizer, social distancing, blah blah blah. What we weren't doing was going and Cloroxing everything. We I literally saw you whatever. pump gas into your truck and then lick your finger. 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't think coronavirus can live on a diesel pump, but whatever. Uh, all right. So uh, on that front, I mean, I think just to to kind of sum up the coronavirus, it it, it, it all went back to. I want to go ahead. Uh, there's one thing I want to say about it, and I, I the first question to Pence after Kamala couldn't answer what they would do differently um, was. Uh, our death rate is the highest supposedly per capita in the world, um, twice as high as our neighbors to the north in Canada. Can you articulate why? Mm-hmm. And he totally dodged that question. Well, some real low-hanging fruit. Pence, I think he took him, a, I don't know if it was strategic or if it was just a warm-up that he he needed to get his, into his groove. But, you know, that would have been the moment to point out, well, we had some extraordinarily inflated numbers in cities like, or in states like New York, and you know, list off all of the Democratic-run states that allowed, uh, you know, astronomical death rates. Um, I, I want to say it's deaths per hundred thousand that that Dan Crenshaw was using to to keep track of Texas, Florida, and we were like in the one to two range, and and they were in like the fifteen to twenty range, right? So mm-hmm. so there was that he, he could have stuck it to him on that and it was a missed opportunity but the thing that i was thinking while he was being asked it i I thought about that later the thing i was thinking while he was asking that he could have said um and that i do believe is a huge reason but it wouldn't have been politically smart is we're the most one of the most obese countries in the world Mm -hmm. probably are the most obese country in the world that's why covid is wrecking havoc diabetes yep is a killer on its own. And it is definitely a killer in conjunction with this virus. There's no denying that. Where do you get diabetes? Yeah, there's type one diabetes, but the vast majority of diabetics in America are type two diabetics, right? Mm -hmm. If we were healthier, my guess would be, if we were healthier and we didn't have idiots like Cuomo, you know, sending, (laughs) sending the angels of death into nursing homes, then, I would bet we'd be somewhere in the middle of the pack, but um, he missed an opportunity there and he wouldn't have said what I would have said, which is uh, everybody get out and run a little bit and you'd you'd probably be fine. I I think a bad look for the Republican party uh, during this debate was also, I mean, she made us look bad. uh, Susan Page did. And by and large, I I think she did a great job. Um, But when she pointed out, you know, Trump's got COVID and, uh, Melania's got COVID, and a bunch of people in uh, yeah, the administration yeah, have COVID. And then it's like, and y'all were having a big party, and no one were, was wearing masks. And I was thinking, man, the the honest answer is to say, well, you know, yeah, that's true. But look at the looting and the rioting that's going on. And you and you don't yeah, think that, that that's been spreading COVID? Right. But politically, it would have been, you know, it, it wouldn't have done him any, well, any good there. But that's the reality. It like, have because... Her, yeah, her point was, y'all are supposed to be leading the country. You should be leading by example, right? And, and not, yes. uh, you know, not rolling in the streets with the proletariat, right? Yeah. Um, His response so was, that would have we, been the we believe the American people have the freedom to live their life how they want to live it. So that's what we're doing, essentially. Right, and then that he trusts us to, to, to be smart about it. Yeah. 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 Um, let's see what else we have here. Uh, you know, she she did let... 
Harris skate on the Second Amendment. That was never brought up. Uh, yeah, I was thinking that this morning that it didn't even get touched. That that should have been that should have um, been part of this debate. There's no doubt with her track record, uh, what she said if she was elected president, which um, was you know in 100 days I'll give Congress 100 days, and then we're going to start the buyback, the man, mandatory buyback period, if they don't come up with a viable solution, and that's what she's on record as saying. And to let her get a free pass on the Second Amendment. I'd say that was my biggest issue with um, Susan Page as as far as her moderating the debate went. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised she didn't go there. Um, it was something that Pence could have found a moment to uh, bring up. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. There's not a single Second Amendment advocate in America who doesn't know where she stands on it. Yeah. Like, I don't. I don't think there's any, right? Well, yeah, but we have a, so many new gun owners in this country today because of this pandemic, because of the looting and the rioting. Uh, you know, Democrats are great gun salesmen, and they've taken it to a new extreme here in the last six months, which I, I'm very appreciative for. But we have a lot of first-time gun owners now in America, and I don't know if they know if they really know how she feels about it. My hope. Is that, you know, like I mentioned, I don't ever watch television to begin with, but I know that, that, they, that these campaigns are strategic in how they spend advertising money, right? Mm -hmm. And I've thought about, like, why am I not seeing, you know, commercials? Well, I wouldn't be seeing them, but, you know, are there commercials being played of, you know, the things these folks have said about the protests slash looting slash rioting and the things that they've said in the past about, the second amendment and the things that, you know, uh, you know, Biden calling, you know, writing a bill imprisoning black men for being super predators. Like surely in the battleground States is what I'm getting at. I would hope there is a serious media campaign, advertising campaign going on, trying to drive that in the places where it's going to make a difference. It's not going to make a difference here in Texas, no matter what the left's trying to say, he ain't going to lose here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, it, it, to your point, it, it definitely needs to be highlighted. I, I hope they are highlighting it. Um, I think Trump, if he ends up doing the last two debates, if they do the last two debates, which he said he's not going to do the next one because they want him to do it virtually. Uh, I don't know if you saw that, but this morning. Yeah, I did see that. Like, yeah. Make sure everybody else knows the, the, the Commission on Presidential Debates or whatever it's called said we're going to do this next one virtually because Trump got COVID and he's like I'm just not going to do it it's not worth my time. Um, that's the sort of thing that makes me wonder is he just is he playing 4D chess? Like why does he think that's going to work? Um, I don't blame him. A virtual debate sounds like a joke, but why does he think that's going to benefit him to not have the opportunity to bludgeon Joe Biden to you know, mm -hmm. correct some of the things. Anyway, let's move on to your next item on the... Yeah, and it's another one that actually wasn't brought up, but Pence brought it up, and that was the... Uh, when, it, when it was his turn to speak, and I don't remember what the question specifically pertained to, but he totally shifted gears and said, well, uh, let me ask you, Kamal, and he became the the moderator, ask, firing off the questions, which I think was so well played by him. Um, even though it was off script, 
And he said, let's talk about. But it wasn't off. It wasn't off his script. Right. Right. It was off the moderator's script, but it sure. was certainly Pence's script. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he asked her, you know, Joe, he said, Joe Biden refused to answer this in the presidential debate. Let's see if you have the stones to answer it. Are you guys going to stack the Supreme yeah. Court? And she totally deflected. And then when she refused After to answer it. After acting all tough like she was going to say, it's like she was going to answer it. Yeah, yeah. She but he even said, game. looked right in the camera, and Pence said, I want the record to state that she will not answer the question on stacking the Supreme Court. And it's just a prime example right. of I don't get my way, and so I'm going to change laws that have been in place for 150 years. So I thought that was well yeah. played by Pence. Absolutely. And it, I think it's shaping up to be the critical issue of the debate. And it was probably, I mean, of the debate, of the, of the election. And it was definitely one of the critical ex- issues of the last election, because everybody knew there was an open seat from Scalia's passing. Um, and, you know, RBG was really elderly already then and already sick and everything. And so, you know, his, his judges list and the backing of the Federalist Society who put that list together for him, that was huge, man. And that, that's, that's another topic, I'll make a note right now, that I want to go through one day as a standalone, and that's the role of the judiciary in American society. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I think a lot of Americans don't realize how important it is that Trump has Trump and McConnell have been able to make all these appointments, not just at the Supreme Court level, but at the appellate court level. In fact, m- probably more importantly at the appellate court level. Which Kamala Under, ripped. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, she went into detail on that, there. saying basically Trump had yeah. appointed a bunch of incompetent judges. Well, her zinger was that not a single one were black. Um, I'm pretty sure there's some Hispanics in there. Um, I want to say, well, I know there is one because the other lady that was up for Supreme Court justice uh, from Florida, um, she's a Cuban-American. can't think of her name off the top of, her, of my head, but you know, she was appointed to, she made the Florida Supreme Court and then he took her and made her, I think, an appellate court judge. And she was like, it was her and Amy Coney Barrett were the two, you know, mm-hmm. finalists for, for this. Open well, seat. So, to be frank, that's a bad look. I mean, there, he needs to have appointed some African-Americans. Um, I agree. Um, yeah, uh, there needs to be some diversity there. Yeah. I'm still saying it needs to be a meritocracy. Um, I have a hard time imagining there's not some really solid Clarence Thomas-like, you know, conservative African Americans out there in the current judiciary system that that could have been promoted to the, one of those 200 um, positions or, or whatever, right? But yeah. um, but that being said, it's still a BS narrative, right? Like I said, a lot of them have been female. A lot of them have been minorities. Um, nobody even knows what the definition of black is. You know, like... Joe Biden does. <laughs> no, he just gets to dictate who is and who isn't. If you're voting for Trump, you ain't black. Says it to a black man. Well, I mean, how, how does that shit not... I mean, anybody that saw that, as an African American, how are they not offended? And I guess I can't, I can't, because I'm not African American. I can't say what they need to be offended by or not. But it sure as hell seemed to. Offend a lot them. were. I mean, a, a lot were. I talked to people who were. I've heard others, you know, that I don't, I don't know, but that have public platforms saying that they were. Like it, they, people were 
are absolutely offended. Yeah. Damn right. It goes to that whole dude. I keep throwing up their Kanye and you know, enough people have been brainwashed by the mainstream media to just think that Kanye West is a psychopath. If you listen to that dude talk, yeah, he, he struggles with bipolar disorder and depression. He, he admits that. Mm-hmm. He's an artist. That's not uncommon among artists. That doesn't mean he's not a brilliant person. Lots of geniuses suffer from bipolar disorder or, dis- or depression. Van Gogh cut his own ear off. Dude, I mean... Cut his own ear off. <laughs> smart, smart, smart people see a lot of, a lot of bad and dwell on it, right? That's yeah. kind of just kind of comes with the territory. It's, you know, anyway, he, I mean, that's his whole beat right now is this idea that how can you be a free man in this world, a free man or woman in this world, if you're told what you're allowed to think and who you're supposed to support? You can't. Garbage. That's yeah. a whole separate tangent. But. Well, let me uh, let me push the conversation forward. How do you think each one of them handled the uh, abortion question? And does it benefit? Um, because Pence said he's pro-life. Okay, so does that benefit the Republican Party on on that stage, or do you think he alienates some middle grounders, you know, who are more liberal on maybe not late-term abortion, but abortion in general? Well, he was first of all nobody that's paid one lick of attention for four years is not aware of that. He's a staunch, you know, staunch Mm -hmm. pro-lifer. So he was being honest. But the truth is, from what I've heard, that polling on abortion is, there's like a two-thirds majority in this country that agree that some regulation on abortion is necessary. Like 70-plus percent, and even over half of Democrats feel that late third to third trimester and beyond abortion um, is just not, not acceptable. Right. It's. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. And you were, you were, uh, I mean, like you, you even admitted this on a previous episode that you were ready to vote for Hillary four years ago until she said that she was pro abortion, even up to the day before delivery. Yeah, I mean, I was open to it. I thought she'd be just Bill 2.0, that she at least wasn't a communist and, you know, that Trump seemed so erratic that he was dangerous. And so, yeah, I was. And then she sat there and said she'd pack the court and take away the Second Amendment. And she was up down for that atrocity on abortion. And I was like, oh, never mind, dude. I mean, it literally came down to those two things. Yeah. Like I've said, I'm about policy. I find both of those policies abhorrent. Um, to your question, uh, one thing Pence didn't allow himself to get into is any specifics on what he means by pro-life, right? I don't mm-hmm. know that he alienated the 60-plus percent of Americans who are adamant that some regulation is necessary. He also didn't ask the question about what he'd like to see in Indiana. See, that's part of the problem, right, is that the average American – and I will – again, I'm going to give – what's the lady's name, Price? Uh, Susan Page. Page. I'll give Mrs. Page – credit for having really well framed that question, because I think a lot of Americans don't understand that Roe versus Wade, all it did was limit the state's ability to regulate abortion. It's a state question. So if they, if, if they, if they put ACB, uh, Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme court in two weeks and, you know, there's a nice, you know, abortion case sitting at the ready for, for next session and, 
they strike down Roe versus Wade entirely. That doesn't make abortion illegal in America. And I think a lot of I think there's a lot of Americans who think that's what it is, but it's not. It means that, that it will be left to the states to decide how to regulate abortion at a state level. So she framed that question up beautifully because she asked each of them, what would you want to see your state do if they were given back the authority to regulate this issue? And neither one of them really answered it, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't want to answer it from the heart because I think his probably heartfelt and 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 uh, sincerely held belief is that it's a human life at the moment of conception and he would say it shouldn't be allowed. I think that's, I'm pretty sure he's a, like a complete pro-lifer, right? And she didn't answer it because if she doesn't say you can kill it even after it comes out, like Northam, right? If she doesn't say that, then she loses the segment of her party that's down for that. Um, you know, if she says any sort of regulation that any human being would consider reasonable, she risks a portion of her voting base. Um, but she also knows that saying that is is uh, opposed by again the, the over two thirds of the country. Mm -hmm. I, I would bet I'm not the only person who was on the fence in the last election that when Clinton said that said nope, never mind. I, I would bet a lot. No idea how to quantify it, but I can't imagine there weren't more people who were totally on the fence, thought it was a total toss-up, and were more comfortable with someone who'd been in politics for 20 years than Trump, that heard her say that and said, whoa, where the hell are we going now? Like, you know, so she, she was damned if she did, damned if she didn't, if she answered the question at all, so she just didn't. Yeah. Right? Other than to say, you know, a woman's right to choose. And Mike Pence and Donald Trump can't tell a woman what she can do. Well, nor have that's they tried to. About. Nor they, nor have they. They tried. haven't tried to. And that's <laughs> again. So she. So so where where Page perfectly phrased the question and illuminated and enlightened the American public on what Roe versus Wade was, Kamala, an attorney, muddied it back up. <laughs> right. You know. So. I mean, and she probably went back into the two hundred and ten thousand deaths because that was like her crutch she leaned on throughout the entire debate. Yeah. Um. Right. Which moving again, those 210,000 deaths are uh, a, a, a tragedy and an atrocity, but the millions of unborn babies and probably tens and maybe hundreds of thousands specifically of unborn black children, because that's who uses the most abortion, because that's where they stick Planned Parenthood, and that's where they promote the crap out of that nonsense. That's where the disproportionate, you know, I'm talking about systemic racism. Man, have we talked about the fact that Planned Parenthood was founded by a eugenicist? Hmm. Mm -mm. A whole other conversation, dude. Yeah. Well, let's keep this one on track. Um, I'm not sure what else there was that I wanted to hit on. That's most of my notes for the debate. I'm sure you might have one or two more things if you want to look at yours. Uh, well, I wanted to point out that um, – did we already touch on it? That Pence was able finally to – point out for all to see the fallacy of the Charlottesville nonsense? I don't think we touched on that yet, have we? No, we haven't. Yeah, you know, where she, you know, Harris sat there. She walked right into it, too. You know, she did this. She she walked right into the, you know, Biden was so compelled to jump in after what happened at Charlottesville. Oh, yeah, and then you, the South Carolina guy, uh, yeah. 
I do remember him saying that, and, you, and he said in, uh, Biden was against the uh, the proposal by was it Tim Scott? Tim Scott, yeah, yeah. right, yep, yeah. Which on police, reform, I, I need to go back so. and look at this for for a future conversation. But I kind of think everything she outlined was, if not everything, some version of everything was in that bill. <laughs> like again, all they keep doing is proposing what the Republicans are already proposing whether it be COVID-19 or police reform. <laughs> yes. And Pence even said, uh, he even brought up the word plagiarism. He's like, you just, all y'all did is just plagiarize yeah. our COVID response. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Which, which I thought was a Biden, good line. Yeah, we, oh, it was great. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, just kind of wrapping up here, Chisholm, depending on which news outlet you watch, that's who is going to tell you whether Harris or, or Pence won the debate, I think it's pretty clear that the actual facts side with Pence, emotion and fear side with Harris. Um, that's the way, you know, I interpreted it anyway. Uh, I think they both had good moments. I, I think she certainly had more bad moments than Pence had. Um, there were times when he didn't answer the question and there were times where it was uncomfortable to watch for me personally, because, um, Susan kept saying, "Okay, Mr. Vice President, you're up, you're out of time," and he just kept talking. Sometimes like 30 seconds, and she'd be like, "Okay, you're out of time," but he wasn't going to shut up till he had finished what he had to say. That's different than interrupting and being pompous and arrogant about it. Um, but it was uncomfortable, and and certainly the I, I mean, thought it was great. I was so impressed with the fact that he could. He's so skilled that he could not even lose his train of thought, not lose his temper, not get flustered, but just keep grinding out till he was done. I thought it was beautiful. Personally. Well, of course. We but very they flip it but as also that he's uh, condescending and treating women right. poorly because he's talking over them. <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 I don't think that there's a lot of um, <laughs> cisgender, heteronormative men out there who buy that crap. Um, I mean, you know, Kamala did it too. She did it too. Not to the degree that Pence did it, but yeah, she, she definitely talked over Susan and wouldn't shut up whenever, you know, Susan was like, okay, For sure. Senator Harris, your time's so, up, your time's up, your time's up. Um, Pence was I'm, I'm more mentioned, egregious on that. You say you liked it. It made my wife and I a little bit uncomfortable watching it after it kept happening, but um, to be frank, well, yeah, he I'd did. Like to tell you something. So, Go ahead. Of course, I mentioned I listened to Dave Rubin recap the debate, and I, I don't know where he pulled this. I need to go verify it. So I invite anybody to fact check, but he claims that uh, maybe he said he was monitoring it, that basically on m multiple occasions, she started interrupting him before his full 120 seconds was up. And that in about the same number of instances that Kamala was allowed to go past 120 seconds. That's what he claimed. Mm. I haven't redone the debate and verified it, but I do know. From what I can tell, I think Pence is a master at this, and I would not be surprised if part of the reason that he pressed forward is because he knew he had 10 seconds left and she was screwing him. Now, I, I say that as a guy who's already said I thought Paige did a pretty good job, mm -hmm. but that would be the, you know, if she was trying at all to influence things, that would be the kind of thing she could do without the vast majority of Americans picking up on it. Right. Shaving five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten seconds off. And there was at least one example, and I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it was early in the debate, 
where he got in on some Biden record stuff and she quickly jumped in to try to cut him off and say he was out of time when he was speaking truth about Biden's record that was extremely damning. I wish I could remember what it was, but that was an example of where all of a sudden he was out of time. Oh, you're out of time. You know, it was like a CNN bit where, you know, the talking head from the right had, has the, (laughs) anyway. Yeah. Well, speaking of time, man, I think that's probably going to be it for today. I hope everyone enjoyed our thoughts on the uh, vice presidential debate. I thought it was a good one. I certainly enjoyed that one a lot more than the previous one, Chisholm. I mean, the other one was way funnier. <laughs> oh, so but it's just an uncomfortable funny. Like, <laughs> like we talked about in our recap of that one, there nobody walked away from that. You know, well, with anything, I, I've I've reached the point with the left where I'm fighting mad. You know, watching somebody fight for those of us who don't want to live in the quote-unquote socialist utopia is a lot less off-putting to me than it may have been four years ago. But I, (laughs) but at the same time, I will reiterate what I said after that one, and that is, he was undisciplined and made a mess of it, and that was unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the structure from last night and the fact that actual questions were answered, uh, some skirted, skirted by both of them. Uh, but that's to be expected. Uh, I thought it was a good debate, and uh, like I said, thought Pence did a great job. Um, I don't know what we have on the docket for next week, man. What do you have uh, pressing that you want to bring to the table? I've been wanting to talk about Amy Coney Barrett, um, Supreme Court stuff generally. I mentioned during this discussion, um, you know, sort of the judiciary more broadly. I got a long list of topics, but I think that one's pretty timely. Okay. As I touched on, I, I do think this packing of the Supreme Court is something that every American needs to understand, uh, and that we all need to understand the way the left uh, has used for way over half a century the American judiciary basically to act as the legislature because their policies are unpopular, so the legislature won't vote for them, and that packing the court would be a surefire means of getting changes made that they could never get through the legitimate constitutional process. Mm-hmm. We'll call that a primer or a primer on that topic, but um, they're clearly telegraphing their intention by refusing to answer that question. Yeah, so no doubt. We need to have that talk. Okay, well, y'all can tune in next week for Chisholm Cook. I'm Cable Smith saying thanks for being here for Justified Pursuit. Nobody wants to get high